Every health system leader has executive management challenges facing their organization. This show supports leaders in addressing those challenges with cutting-edge information, leading strategies, and sharing best practices. Listen in and gain keen insight as industry leaders share their stories. The Baldridge Foundation welcomes you to Leader Dialogue Radio. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Leader Dialogue, brought to you by the Malcolm Baldridge Foundation and our sponsor, About Healthcare. I'm Dr. Chuck Peck, and as always, I'm honored to be joined by some friends of mine, Ben Sawyer and Darren Versillo. Darren and Ben are executives at About Healthcare. Guys, it's great to be back with you, and I'm really excited about today's podcast. Today's podcast is going to be talking about operating as one, and in particular, leadership development. And I'm just so excited to to have a a special guest here to talk with us. Russ Hill uh, is a senior partner and one of the founders of Lone Rock Consulting. Russ has written three books on leadership, including the latest one titled The Great Resignation, Why Millions Are Leaving Their Jobs, and also a previous book titled Who Will Win the Battle for Talent? Russ coaches and consults executives of some of the world's largest companies, including Amazon, Lockheed Martin, Johnson & Johnson, Cigna, and others. He has spent considerable time, considerable time with hospital clients, including HCA, Innova, Sutter, and OSF Healthcare. Uh, on a personal note, uh, I got to know Russ very closely when I was put in the chair of a hospital and health system that had six days of cash on hand. And uh, we brought Russ and several of his colleagues in to really help the organization gets stabilized and really focus on leadership, culture, and accountability. And, and I can tell you from my personal experience uh, after about six months with Russ is that Russ doesn't just talk the talk, he actually walks the walk. And we, we had incredible results from uh, his leadership coaching and the work that he and his colleagues did with all of the folks involved at the hospital where, where I was at. And so I can tell you that this is going to be a great opportunity for folks to learn what, what I think some leaders and all leaders, frankly, in all industries need to understand about the environment that we're currently in. So, Russ, it's great to have you here. It's great to it's great to be on, Chuck, and 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 with all of you. I appreciate I appreciate the invitation. So, Russ, let me let me start with uh, with a question, and then I'll. I'll certainly ask uh, Ben and Darren to uh, join in uh, whenever. What are some of the critical leadership attributes uh, you think a leader in healthcare has to have today in these incredibly challenging times? We could do hours on this, right? It's such an issue. Every single industry, you mentioned some of them there, um, Chuck, some of the different companies and different industries that we coach and consult. And and so I might be on the phone or on a virtual meeting or in person with a, uh, a defense contractor or with a manufacturing company or with an insurance company, retail or, or, or a hospital system. Everybody, I don't care what industry you're in, you're exhausted everybody's dealing with it. How could you not after the last two years of this pandemic, right? And all of the changes that we've had to deal with in our personal and professional lives. But with that said, the most exhausted in our experience as a firm is hospitals, healthcare, 
I mean, these these folks that are on the front lines, we were on, we were on with a hospital system, the executive team on Friday, and they said, how you, you've got to help us re-engage. That was the term they used, re-engage the leaders in our hospital. It's almost like they want to go out and recruit them again, rehire them and remind them of why they work here. And th- the moment isn't probably best right now, but hopefully as these variants fade off, if if in fact that happens and we switch from a pandemic to an endemic or whatever that looks like. You all are the healthcare professionals, not me. But hopefully, if if there is some easing in the in the in the healthcare industry, in the hospital industry, in the in the coming months, there there's a massive opportunity and a massive need to dig in. And so, to to your specific question, what I would say is, it goes back to Chuck when I was first hired, and it wasn't in the healthcare space when I was first hired and put into leadership. They told me go go get things done. Right now, I was I was young and inexperienced and thought I knew what to do. And 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 then they then they said, well, now we're going to do this thing called an employee, an employee engagement survey. And I went, what? And they surveyed my employees and, and what the results revealed were. And, and I, I, I don't I don't brag about this, but it, it, it can help your audience know where I came from. What happened, I was working for a national company at the time. My scores, my employee engagement scores on my team were the worst in the entire company. Nobody had a more toxic culture than I did. And and I was ticked when I got the results. I'm like, you people set me up for this. You hired me. I think of nurses that I've rounded with in hospitals. Hey, you were a great, reliable nurse, so we're going to elevate you to nursing supervisor. By the way, your people aren't engaged. Why are why aren't why aren't they? Because you never taught me how to I know how to take care of a patient. That doesn't mean I know how to take care of this team. And it doesn't mean I know how to keep teams engaged. And it doesn't mean I know how to how to deliver, how, how to get HCAP scores up and how to get people patient safety and how to, you know, do all of these things. And so, Chuck, the short answer to your, your question is we aren't training leaders well enough. What what are some things that that some of the folks on the phone can can take away from this in terms of uh, I'm sure there's there are folks on the phone that uh, and on the podcast that uh, have been in this position, right? I mean, I think all of us at some time or another have been put in a position where you know we're told, well, we you know we think you're a good fit. You'll you'll get the skills later, okay? Or go just go get the skills, take a leadership course. Uh, you know, folks folks barely have enough time to get their work done, as as you were saying. So, you know, what are some of the things that folks can actually do to try to acquire? you know, some of the skills that they need? Well, number one is there, there are two ways I would respond to that. And I'd be interested in, in, in your, your, your experience as a collective group too on this. I'm not the only so-called, and please use air quotes, expert on this. You, you all are too, right? You've lived in this space. So react to what I say here. But my opinion is there, there are two, two aspects to that, to that answer, Chuck. And one is what, what healthcare executives are doing. We, we have a responsibility as leaders and, I, and leaders is is I'm, I'm talking about a, a mid-level manager to you're the CEO of the system or you're, you're in the, the administration of a, a hospital or a clinic or whatever it is. Wherever you're at on that spectrum, we as leaders have a responsibility to develop our people. 
And, and that can mean lots of different things, but we've got to be investing time and energy. And it doesn't mean a 14 day offsite where we go to some Island and, you know, yeah, who has time for that to get that kind of training, but, but it does mean that we're talking about our culture. It does mean we're having some discussions that aren't just about the patient or the nurse or the financials or whatever. We're talking about us, how we're, what's working, what's not working what obstacles we're up against, the beliefs that I hold about your unit, about your team, the beliefs that you hold about mine, about what results matter because you have a balanced scorecard that has 87,000 metrics I'm accountable for. And I don't know what the three or four most are. And you keep giving me new policies and new procedures and new checklists and corporate sending down all these things. And you're, I'm supposed to deliver on all these results. I need, I need the ability to talk about that. So as a leader, we need to create space where we're talking about a leadership. The other aspect of it is, Chuck, when I got that, that packet of papers when I was in my early 20s that said, you are the worst leader on, on planet Earth, or at least in this company, you have the worst culture. You know, the, the, the response in me was first anger, frustration, exhaustion, all that. And then it was, I better figure this crap out. Like, I got to figure out how to lead. So guess what I did? I went to the bookstore. We used to have them back then. And or you go to Amazon or whatever. I started reading, investing in my ability to lead. So, yeah, the leadership team of our hospital or healthcare or clinic or whatever has responsibility to develop leaders. And I, as a leader, have got to take accountability for what am I doing to develop myself. And there are lots of different ways that that could look there. There's never been more available online on Amazon on, with lots of different companies for those who are interested in developing themselves as a leader. So let's say Russ, that, that I, as a, as a young leader, I go out and I do those things and I really, really work at it. Then I've got this other situation that, that you've written extensively about, which is, you know, I have, all these people leave leaving. They're either they're leaving either because they have a toxic person that they're uh, reporting to, or they've lost faith in the the organization that they're working for. They've gotten a phone call that that that's offering them you know forty, fifty, sixty, a hundred thousand dollars more to just come over. Uh, you know the grass always seems greener. So, you know how how do you suggest leaders motivate their teams during? these incredible times, whether it's COVID or whatever else comes down, comes down the road. I think what, you know, what I've been trying to talk about with, with the organizations I work with is going back to the way things used to be after COVID is not going to be the answer because so much right. has, has changed, right? I can't do this by myself. And I also can't have my, my top performers continue to leave the organization. So, you know, if, if I'm in, in that, in that chair again, how do I motivate folks on my teams and in my in my leadership group, you know, during these incredible, incredibly stressful times. Yeah, two things come to my mind. Number one is I'm going to quit the leader who's not listening. If I don't feel heard, I'm gone. Period. And especially in an environment where there's all of this pressure, and 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 so we hire people because of their ideas, their wisdom, and their experience. We hire people because of their wisdom, experience. And, and their skills. And then so many of us as leaders in our, in our, in our intense efforts to deliver results, we tell them, please shut up, put your head down and do what I ask. 
So you hired me for my ideas and my experience and my wisdom, and now you don't want any of it. You just want me to go execute. Sorry, that's not why I came to work here. I came to work here because I have ideas. I have, I'm passionate about what I do. And if you just want a robot, go find one, but I'm not it. And so we have more options as employees in every industry than ever in our lifetime. You've never led at a time in history, if you're alive today, where an employee has had more options. That's what we wrote about in The Great Resignation, the book. That's the reality of it. The rise of the individuals, I think chapter two or three in that book, the individual employee has more power than ever. Okay. And it's interesting because it's happened at the same time that companies gotten bigger. The employees gotten bigger because they've got options and they also have a lot of money in the bank. Well, unless Wall Street keeps doing what it's doing right now, but that's another, that's another episode. So no, no, number one, I would say is make sure you're listening to your people and, and that comes through empathy and it comes through transparency. Tell me what's really going on. We always coach leaders in times when it gets tough, which it's tough now in healthcare, it's transparency and empathy. Nothing matters more. I want, I don't, I don't give me the spin. Don't, don't beat around the bush. Don't hide the facts from me. Tell me what's really going on and give me, give me transparency and then empathy. You need to take 20 seconds and ask me how my kid's doing. You need to take 30 seconds and ask me how my spouse or my partner or whomever is doing. So that's one thing, transparency and empathy. This, the second end of that spectrum as it comes to um, exhausted employees, which is so critically important, is that in addition to listening to them, that we're also making sure that we understand that they have these options out there and that if we're not if we're not engaging them in in tapping into their ideas, they're going to go somewhere else. That that's critically critically important right now. Ben and Darren, I'm sure you must have some questions for us. Yeah, actually, I have a couple observations that kind of reinforce what you're saying, Russ. When I was a new leader, I had joined a, a large healthcare organization then recently gone through a merger and acquisition and two cultures were put together and they were at odds. They used to be competitors, right? So the particular division that I was responsible for, there was a lot of expression of anger and frustration and so forth. And I was a new leader, just like you were talking about. I didn't know really what to do. I went in there and heard it and I was like, wow, this is going to be a challenge. So I reached out to an executive coach I'd been using and she suggested that I schedule meetings with them and just ask them, what will it take to make you feel safe? And I'm like, really? Like, that's the question? She said, trust me, try this. So I did. I scheduled meetings with them and I you know, introduced myself and, and got a sense of who they were. And I just said, what is it going to take you to make you feel safe in this? And it was like a watershed moment. I mean, it was unbelievable the stuff that came out because nobody had ever asked them. Right. right. They felt threatened by the environment. They didn't, they weren't aligned on what they were trying to accomplish. Some of them had real personal, you know, conflicts that had to be. So that was really uh, an eye-opening experience for me. And then another uh, recent uh, interview that I listened to was of Frank Blake, who took over as the CEO at Home Depot back in 2008. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this for story, but he had never been in a CEO role before. He had been like general counsel and EVP and stuff like that, but suddenly was thrust into the CEO role, didn't quite know what to do, at, and Home Depot was really struggling. That was right at the time of the economic crisis in 2008. 
and ultimately was very successful. He, he brought them from a $40 billion market cap to $100 billion, his term. But he said the thing that made a difference was he realized that leadership is about being at the bottom of the triangle, not at the top. The customers at the top, the, the people that serve the customer are on the, that's the moment of truth. That's the front line. And whatever he could do to support them so that they had a really clear sense of vision that could be replicated in that moment of truth interaction. And then he spent a lot of time at Home Depot's walking walking the, the aisles and stuff and supporting. In fact, one customer said to a customer service rep who was joking with them, hey, do they have a new program of staff with AARP at Home Depot? Because he was, he was like the old, old white-haired <laughs> guy, right? But his point was, the best time I spent was being on the front line, to your point, you know, understanding, listening, no spin transparency, empathetic with what these people are doing on the front line. And he said, you know, we had to acknowledge and reward behavior that was consistent with what we were trying to accomplish, but it wasn't done from the boardroom. He said, yeah. I had to realize that I'm at the bottom of this inverted pyramid. So those are just a couple things. Yeah. Ben, ben, I want to react to that if you don't mind, because I sure. think that, I think those are really good points, and especially in healthcare. Before I get to the healthcare, the hospital, and the 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 the, the clinic side of this, I, I want to share an experience. I, I I started my leadership career in the media business, so I was working in in a television radio properties and our in in our national broadcast company, the most successful property we had from a revenue standpoint was a WTOP radio in Washington, D.C. It's an all-news radio station, but it's living in the Washington, D.C. area and knows this, this radio station. And so Joel Oxley was the, was the general manager at the time, and I flew out as a young leader to Washington, D.C. to spend a couple of days at this media property. And I remember having lunch with Joel and saying, Joel, what's your secret, man? Like, how did you turn this place into the media powerhouse, the highest uh, revenue generator um, in the radio business in, in, in North America. And he said, Russ, I do it by walking around. And I remember thinking, dude, like you're not that smart. <laughs> like, like I was looking for this wisdom and that was it. I was so disappointed. Like that's your secret. You walk around that can't be what's responsible for it. And then I, I, I can tell you countless stories of hospitals where we've been hired to come in and work on the culture and fix the culture and, 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 and try to help impact, you know, results from, from patient satisfaction to financials, to whatever it might be employee engagement, retention. And, and we, we'll, we'll start that project by interviewing 40 employees, whether they're EBS employees or they're clinicians or wherever they're at, uh, frontline to to leadership, and we one of the first questions we ask is around the leadership team. When's the last time you saw them? And I right. I can talk I can tell you stories about manufacturing plants where the 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 challenges that we uncovered digging into a culture project at a manufacturing plant. The biggest obstacle was the plant management team sitting in their office. There is tons we could do a whole episode just on what you were just saying, Ben, which is visibility. And why is that critically important? It's because my job is to, is to manage the culture of this hospital, this clinic, this unit, this department. And I can't know what my people are thinking unless I'm out. That's why rounding 
back when mm-hmm. you know the emphasis was made on it we, we overburden rounding with putting way too many barriers on it and way too many checklists what what rounding is and i've i've rounded with hospital administrators what it really comes down to is hey lisa what what's what what what's what's on your mind what are you struggling with Hey, Bob, what are the biggest challenges you're dealing with in trying to deliver patient safety or doing this, that, or the other? And it's in listening to the the person who is closest to the customer or the patient or the member is going to be able to have the biggest impact on results. The more distance that we create as leaders between us and the customer or the patient, it, the, the, the worse off our culture is going to be. If you want to, if you want a great example of this outside of the healthcare space, go follow on LinkedIn, Doug McMillan. Doug McMillan is the CEO of Walmart. You know what he posts on his page, his LinkedIn account, like day after day after day, pictures of him what? At some Walmart in the U.S. Guess who he's talking with? Associates, customers. The CEO of Walmart. I think he's got a few meetings to be in. I think he's sort of busy. I think there's a lot going on with supply chain and all this other stuff. And if he can find time to go visit with customers and associates at some various, yeah, he's got a private jet to get to a various Walmart. But if he can find time to do that, a pandemic or no pandemic or any whatever's going on, we can find time to be closer to the patient, the member, and the employee. Hey, Russ, I want to touch on that. Uh, this is Darren. Um, you mentioned culture, and uh, obviously it's, uh, it's super important in healthcare systems. Uh, this is something actually we deal with a lot at about when we come in and we we work especially with physician culture interestingly enough and chuck and i being physicians we i think we we feel this when we talk about sometimes physician culture can be a barrier and when you're an administrator a non-clinical administrator and you're trying to work through that hierarchical system that uh, exists in healthcare systems i guess my question to you is uh, what counsel do you give to the developing leader or the leader developing program to be able to cast a vision, to um, overcome the barriers of physician culture where physicians don't like to change? You know, things fit like an old shoe and they're comfortable. So, um, you know, when you, where you're asking them to maybe speed up or be the easy button or allow patient flow to move through a lot faster, these are some of the things that we deal with. Uh, what's your wisdom there for that? that leader that wants to deal with the physician culture and that pushback. You know, some of the, some of the most intense um, (laughs) challenging meetings that I've been a part of Darren over my years of doing this, like similar work to what you all are doing. And, um, and there, and there's plenty of work to be done. Some of my most challenging groups to be in front of are, I always tell people it's two groups. It's union employees at nuclear power plants and physicians (laughs) and that and this is from decades of doing this and 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 i'm not casting judgment on either group but i I, i've had large hospital systems they'll put me in front of hundreds of of physicians in 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 one of their systems and the arrows flying at me um, i'm sure you all have had this experience are are pretty sharp and plentiful and so i i i've in 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 those experiences i thought well why is that why is this? And you all would know probably better than I would having been having been a physician, being a physician. But I'll tell you my belief. My belief is that there as a physician, there have been so many changes. So many changes that have been made, and I don't feel like my voice has been heard. And so I went I've got this expertise 
the patient's well-being, like I feel the weight of that. This is what I see in the eyes and in, the, in what I hear in the physician. You all tell me if I'm wrong. I'm sure. responsible, uh, like life or death, whether they're going to heal or not is up to me. And all the rest of you, I appreciate you helping out and supporting, but it's on me. And I feel that. And yet you're making all of these changes and you're not asking us. And so then the hospital system, you know, somebody pays us or hires us or you or whomever, you probably have the same experience, put you in the front of the room. You're talking to these physicians and they're like, okay, somebody is actually now going to ask my opinion. Okay. Well, I've, I've been holding on to this for four years, seven years, 12 years <laughs> here. It all, it all comes to you. Am I right on that? What do you think? Oh Dan? yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that idea of hearing the voice of the physician, getting their input. I think not only engages them into the process and makes them feel that they're part of it and it's somewhat their own, but to your point, you stave off all the things that uh, could fly at you later because you made decisions in a vacuum. And put them in the same room. Like, I don't understand why so many times we don't want the physicians in the same room as the nurses or the techs or the different, like when we're getting the leadership team together, so many hospital administrators I've worked with over the years seem scared of physicians. There's this fear and like, okay, we'll, we'll deal with Russ. We're going to schedule this meeting two weeks from now when all everyone else is busy, we're going to have the physicians in this room. Like what, what, what are you doing? They all have to work together on the floor anyway. And, and, and most of the culture problems that I, that I've seen in, in the hospital, in hospitals are because these groups aren't, they don't feel heard by one another. And, and, and going back to where Chuck started our, our conversation, you know, years ago in, in one of the hospitals he's that he oversaw that, that he brought us in to help him out with. That's what he did. I mean, Chuck, that's what you did. Just put us in the room with them and got these folks together. I think I think about some of our sessions with surgical services where, you know, in, the, in those areas, man, the, the pressure is so intense. And you want to find the most toxic culture in most organizations. It's in surgical services. And for lots of different reasons, and those folks just don't feel heard. And so I would say, and, and the pandemic's created all kinds of challenges. I mean, like, okay, well, when are we going to schedule that meeting, Russ, right? In the <laughs> middle of what we've been going through over the last, how many, you know, a couple of years, but those conversations are needed. And I'm hopeful that in, in, in 2022, that in the weeks and months ahead, that a lot of those who are listening are going to put effort and time and energy investment into having those conversations, they're, they're, they're sorely needed. So Russ, we've just got a couple of minutes left. So, you know, last question here, and, and you just talked about something I'd like to just follow up on for a minute or so. You know, you mentioned the, the fear related to some administrators and physicians, but, you know, you coach an awful lot of high-level executives in Fortune 500 companies, hospitals, et cetera. What are some of the other things that, that stand in the way of these leaders uh, reaching their people. I mean, aside from being afraid sometimes, yeah. what do you coach people about that? You, like the top two or three obstacles that you found in, in yeah. coaching? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's, it's these three things, Chuck, clarity, alignment, movement. We, we, we call it the third leader. We, we work with, uh, we work with all kinds of different types of leaders when like each of you, you've had experience working with thousands of different leaders and we start to segment them, the first, the second, and the third leader. We don't have time in this episode to dig into those definitions, but we're aiming to be the third leader. And the third leader is somebody who has the ability to create clarity. Your team can't work on 150 things. 
and, and you need them to deliver specific results and they need clarity on what they are. And there can't be more than three or four. So on that balance scorecard, what are the three or four metrics that matter most? So we go into a senior team that's leading 30,000 people and we say, okay, what are they? No, you can't pick seven. You can't pick 12. It's these three. And there are lots of metrics that matter, but it's got to be these three. So clarity, you've got to create clarity as a leader. The second area is alignment. Alignment's different than awareness. Almost all of us are really good at leaders as leaders creating awareness. This new policy, this project, this priority, awareness is very different than alignment. A team that's aware of something doesn't deliver the same results than a team that's aligned to it. And so alignment means creating that. That's why I've, I've, I've dug so deep into in this conversation about making sure people feel heard. That's what happens with alignment. Alignment's messy. Alignment, it needs to happen out loud. I need to think and ask questions and raise observations and challenges. And so a leader who knows how to create alignment and leans into that's critical, Chuck. And then the last area is movement. What are the three or four? You saw this, Chuck, with, with your work that we've been involved in over the years. What are the three or four beliefs that need to shift in this clinic or in this hospital or this unit? What are the three or four aspects of the mindset on this team that are slowing us down? And a leader that's skilled in being able to manage culture and shift that mindset is, is incredibly is effective and, and has a different level of engagement. So it's creating clarity, building alignment, and generating movement. Great. Thanks a million, Russ. This, is, uh, this has been a great podcast. just want to remind our listeners that over the next uh, several months, we'll be talking more about systemness. Uh, we'll have some additional podcasts on leadership. We'll ha- we have a webinar coming up uh, also in the next month or so. So please uh, stay tuned and we'll be discussing some of these really important topics as we go forward. Uh, ben, any last words? No, Russ, again, thanks so much for joining us. I thought that was a really great conversation and lots of considerations and takeaways for the audience. So we really appreciate it. My pleasure. 